Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Told the first service this morning that I was a little bit nervous, uh, and I, I'm still, to be, to be honest, I'm still a little bit nervous. Um, I'm not nervous because I, I'm with y'all this morning. Um, I don't really get nervous a whole lot when I, I'm communicating or I'm in front of people. I'm a little nervous this morning um, because of our subject matter, um, especially subject matter like two days after Christmas, but I, I am really excited to share with you this morning. Before I get into all that, let me introduce myself. My name is Mark. Um, I'm one of the youth directors here at New Life. Alex was up here just a little bit ago playing guitar. He's one of the other youth directors here at New Life. Um, I focus my time here with middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and leadership development um, with Relevant Student Ministries, which is um, New Life's youth ministry, which is actually currently on break. We're not having youth group um, right now, not until about mid-January. We'll start back up. Um, and usually here on a Sunday morning, um, this would be a little bit different. So usually here our lead pastor would be up front, Pastor Chris Marshall, who's actually, uh, he's fallen ill, so he's ill this morning, so he's not here right now with us. And, and actually usually, uh, instead of Alex, um, we would have um, Pastor Brad, our, our worship and media arts pastor, and uh, uh, his worship band up here. But because they did like a bazillion Christmas Eve services um, this week, uh, they have a little bit of a break this Sunday uh, after Christmas every year, and Alex and I, as members uh, as members of the youth team um, and the staff here uh, do uh, worship on Sunday morning um, right after Christmas. So we're so excited to be able to join here with you. Um, if you are here for the first time, let me just tell you we're super excited that you're here to join us. Um, we may not know your name. I may not have got a chance to greet you yet or get to know you, but we have prayed for you. Um, we prepared cookies and, and juice or, what, I don't know, whatever, whatever it was that we had. That we prepared it for you. We're excited that you're here to join us, and we're just so excited that you decided to come out and, and see uh, what it is that we're all about here this morning. Um, once again, it's a little bit different what we're doing here this morning, which is actually pretty normal for New Life. We do things differently almost uh, every single week. Um, in fact, one of the things that we've been doing differently this Christmas season is that we've been talking about Advent. And Advent is something that was oftentimes talked about in most churches um, around the world uh, during this season, um, but it's not oftentimes talked about at New Life. But we've been in a series called The Great Adventure, in which it's been going through the season of Advent. Now, Advent is usually a season that ends Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But here at New Life, we extended our series called The Great Adventure uh, to today. And so I'm closing up this series. And throughout this series, we've talked about a variety of subjects, but all of them have focused on the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And so they focused on being prepared both for Jesus coming into the world on Christmas Day and for his eventual return, which he promised during the time he spent here on earth. When he died, he became resurrected. And then those couple of days that he spent with his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead, he told them to prepare for he was coming back soon. And so we've been talking about that. In fact, on week one of this series, um, we talked about John the Baptist and how he was preparing a way for Jesus and how we can begin to be prepared for the, for the coming of Jesus as well. On week two, we talked about it doesn't really matter what we've done or what we will do. In fact, what we're doing now. In fact, it's all about Jesus. He's the main character. We play at best supporting roles in his story. And then uh, just two weeks ago, Pastor Brad brought an awesome message to us about how we can join into the kingdom of God, this kingdom that, that Jesus ushered in during his time here on earth, and how that kingdom starts 
with the birth narrative, the birth story of Jesus in the nativity scene, how we can join in on that story. Just last week, Pastor Chris talked to us uh, about the fact that Jesus is returning, and he will return suddenly and unexpectedly. And if you were here on Christmas Eve with us just a couple of days ago, then you know that Pastor Chris talked um, very bluntly even about the fact that when Jesus came the first time, although there was a nation waiting for a Messiah, the only people who actually knew that he was returning was a grouping of shepherds. No one else was prepared. And so he just asked us this question, are we prepared for when Jesus comes again? For he is returning And so the question became, are we prepared because he's coming back? And so today I've been tasked with talking about the fact that Jesus is returning, about how in which he is going to return, the manner in which he will return, and then how it is that we can prepare for his return. Before we get into all of that, I actually want to take a look at our take-home point today. And our take-home point, you know, you may have been to a couple of churches before, and there might be six, seven, eight-point messages. Here at New Life, we try to preach one-point messages. So we try to revolve everything. My whole message will try to hinge upon this one point. And we want you to take it out and live it out in whatever way you can in the coming week. And it's just this. Jesus' second coming is as King of Kings. His first coming was a baby in a manger. His second coming will be as the king of kings. Now we're going to take a look at what our key scripture is for today. And it's going to come to us from the book of Revelation. Now before I dig into that, I just want to give you a little bit of like a forewarning. So the book of Revelation is a really heavy book. I'm a storyteller by nature. This morning I'm not going to be telling stories. Revelation is a heavy book in terms of the fact that it talks about some really deep things. I'm not going to be diving in really deep into anything. We're going to be hitting some pretty large chunks of Revelation with a pretty wide brush, with a pretty wide stroke this morning. We're going to be doing that because I'm not a scholar of the book of Revelation, and I'm not going to pretend to be. There's people who study it their entire lives. I read it like 15 minutes, and I need like a three-hour nap, like trying to understand it. I mean, it is, it's like heavy, heavy stuff. I also want to give you this forewarning. This morning is heavy. This morning will be heavy because we're talking about the return of Jesus this morning. And so when we open up the book to Revelation, I just want you to know that as I open up to this book and these chapters, I I open up to them with a lot of fear and trembling. When I say that I'm nervous, it's it's not to be before you. I'm nervous because I'm opening up a a book that, that God spoke into existence that is a a scary book to talk about in a lot of ways. It's a nerve-wracking book to interpret. And and for me, it's just kind of like a a, a scary book to just talk about. And to be honest with you, throughout my entire time preaching, other than a couple of uh, paragraphs that uh, were written to a couple of churches, I've only spoken on the book of Revelation once. And that was this past summer with our youth ministry. And it was on passages that we're going to talk about today, actually. But I want to dive in, and I want to look at Revelation chapter 1. It's verses 4 through 8. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This is the opening of the book of Revelation from a man named John. And it says this. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things. The first who rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory 
to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us, and has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. All the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I'm not going to spend an extensive amount of time here on the very beginning of Revelation, but I want to point this out. This is written by a man named John. John, not the John the Baptist that I talked about earlier, but I'm talking about John the Apostle John. This man who was a close uh, disciple, a friend of Jesus, in fact, possibly the closest. Jesus had 12. In those 12, he had three. In those three, he had one. This one was John, a man described as a man whom Jesus loved, the man whom Jesus loved. John was very close to him. In fact, John is writing these words in prison for what he believes. He's in prison for what he believed. At the end of his life, he's given a vision of what it will be like for when Jesus returns. And after receiving that vision, he takes time to write down what it is that he saw, what it is that he was told, and then he sends it out to a grouping of churches that are in modern-day Turkey. A grouping of new churches that are in modern-day Turkey. So John has uh, all of these things that are being shown to him, and he takes time to write them down. The one broad stroke that I want to hit this with is very simple. Jesus is returning in a very different way than when he showed up on the scene the first time. When he showed up the first time, he showed up meek, humbly, and quietly. Outside of the angels that appeared to the shepherds with trumpets, he appeared in a manger He was, Mary gave birth to him. He was wrapped in clothes. There was no room for him in Bethlehem at the time. Many of us, we know the story, whether we've not known Jesus as our Savior and Lord or not, we've heard the Christmas story, right? We know about the baby Jesus born in the manger. We've seen the nativity scenes outside. He showed up in, in a humble estate, right? It seems as though when it says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, this A profound statement, one of the most profound statements God makes about himself through the disciple John here in the beginning of the book of Revelation. As Revelation opens up, we see that God as he returns, as Jesus returns, is returning in a very different way than when he first showed up in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. In fact, we see that when John receives a revelation, a vision from God, and he writes this down in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 4. So we're actually going to skip the rest of chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to go to chapter 4. We're skipping those because those are paragraphs that John wrote to the churches, and although very important, and I'd love for you to read them, they're not things that we're going to focus on this morning. So when we get to chapter 4, John is beginning to receive a vision from God, and we'll begin to see that. I would love to tell you the story of this, but my words are just, just broken, stupid words. I love telling stories, but my words are insufficient to tell the story of Revelation. Insufficient. The only way that we can possibly look at the story of Revelation is by reading it and looking at it together. Because the words are just, are just too powerful for me to try to summarize And so I want to look at Revelation chapter 4. I want to look at the first eight verses with you. 
It says this. It'll be up on the screen. Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice says, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. This is Jesus speaking to him. John. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carmelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with seven burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny, shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always is, always was, who is, and who is still to come. John is whisked away inside this vision, and as he pulled away inside this vision, he's brought before the very throne of God. And as he finds himself before the very throne of God, he sees all of these magnificent things. And now there's many scholars and many people, and we could spend probably the next month or two just cutting these into little verses and trying to interpret and figure out which each thing inside this throne room represents, but we're not going to do that. Because I think John just tried to use the, the fallible, small words that he had to try to describe an infinite and all-powerful being that he saw in his throne room. I think he came out of this vision, and with the inspired word of God, he took a pen to paper, or whatever it is that he had in that prison, and he began to write down the things that he saw to the best of his ability. And I believe that these were the things that he saw. God in his throne room and all of his power. And once again, we have this thing impressed upon us in the same way that we saw it in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, that God in his throne room and all of this power just impresses on me this magnificent power of God, that we're being set up for something different than the first coming. And then we go to Revelation chapter 5, and there's a couple of new characters that become introduced to us. In fact, we see the first character is a powerful angel, the word of God tells us. And in the powerful angel's hand is a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals. And in this seven seals, they look about heaven, and they see if there's anybody who is able to open the seven seals, and there is no one. And they look upon the earth to see if there's anyone worthy to open the seven seals, and they can find no one worthy. In fact, this causes such great turmoil in John that the word of God says that he's just racked with sorrow. He begins to weep. He's in the throne room of God weeping because there's no one that can be found worthy to open the seven seals and open the scroll that this powerful angel is holding. As he's weeping, the word of God tells us that one of the elders upon one of the thrones comes and comforts John. And he points to him another character that we had not previously seen before in the throne room. And that is a lamb that appeared to be slain. 
a lamb that appeared to be slain. This lamb, the Bible tells us, is called the Lion of Judah. As believers, we know this lamb to be Jesus Christ. So much symbolism here, but I believe that John does not see symbolism. I believe he sees a lamb that appeared to be slain. The Bible tells us that the lamb goes to the powerful angel and he takes the scroll. And when he takes the scroll, all beings in heaven and all living things on earth bow down and worship the lamb who is worthy because he is one who appears to be slain. If you're wondering when Jesus will return and you are looking for signs to know, is this it? Is this when Jesus will return? I offer this to you. My belief is this, that if you do not want to be deceived into believing he's returning at a time that he is not, then just know that when he returns, all living beings in heaven and on earth will praise his name. Those who believe, those who do not, all things living will praise the name of the Lamb, the Lion of Judah, when he takes the scroll in hand. That is when you will know, without doubt, that he is returning. That the Son of God, who came as a baby boy on Christmas Day, who sacrificed himself on a cross to save us from our own sin, and rose three days later and returned to heaven, is returning again when all of heaven and earth praise his name in unison together. What a glorious day. So the question is not now, when will he return, but how? We know now that Jesus is returning, he's coming back, that, that all heaven and earth, when he takes the scroll in hand, that only he, he and only he is worthy to open, that only he can break the seals on, that all heaven and earth, so how is he going to return? We know how he came the first time as a meek baby, prepared to save the world, prepared to save sinners like me and like you, but how will he return the second time? For that we have to look at Revelation chapter 6. And it's another one of those passages that I cannot summarize because my words are insufficient. So we must read together. It comes to us from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the screen. The Word of God says this. As I watched, the Lamb, that is Jesus, broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up. And I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Then the lamb broke the second seal. I heard the second living being say, come. And another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Then the lamb broke the third seal. I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up. And I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up, and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. Those two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. 
no matter how heavy it may be. Use it to draw us to you today. In your name, amen. Now, I'm not typically a hellfire and brimstone type of guy. That's not typically like my wheelhouse. That's not how I prefer to preach. I'm not a scare you into heaven type of individual. And to be honest with you, it's not the culture and nature of our church either. It's not the culture and nature of anybody who stands up here. However, at the same exact time, anybody who stands up here to preach on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night will not skirt around the truth of the word of God because it isn't something that we feel comfortable with. We will only preach what it says. And in this case, when Jesus Christ returns, he returns, yes, with love, but he returns also with wrath and with judgment. When Jesus Christ comes back, he comes back as the slain lamb, the lion of Judah, with the scroll in hand. And the first four seals that he breaks, we call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. To destroy one quarter of earth, life on earth. When the lamb comes back, yes, he comes back as Jesus Christ, the same that we know born in the manger. But he doesn't fit inside the boxes that we want him to fit into. For he comes back not just with God's love, but he comes back with God's wrath and God's judgment. You see, as believers and as Christians, and oftentimes specifically as Christians in this culture, we feel comfortable with Christmas Jesus. We like Christmas Jesus. Christmas Jesus does not demand very much of me. Christmas Jesus demands that I show up for church, sometimes in the middle of the week, on Christmas